There are no borders with Bitcoin, and from the beginning, its disruption has been global. Tune in to Borderless as Coindesk reporters Anna Badikova and Danny Nelson dissect their top most recent Bitcoin and cryptocurrency stories from around the world. This episode is brought to you by the Coindesk Podcast Network. And just a reminder that Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Welcome to Borderless. I'm Anna Baidakova from Moscow, Russia. And I'm Danny Nelson in Salt Lake City in the US. In today's show, more NFTs to the god of NFTs. The future pension money go into crypto or maybe not. And New Zealand entering the stablecoin game with the digital New Zealand dollar. So, uh, Danny, why don't we start with the fun stuff? Absolutely. So just today, we're, we're recording this podcast on Thursday, March 11th. And just today, we've had the uh, single largest non-fungible token sale in uh, recorded history. Recorded history of, of course, about three years. But today, the artist Beeple who uh, crypto folks might remember for recently selling a $6 million Donald Trump NFT, has now sold a $69 million collection of his artwork at the auction house Christie's. Uh, This is 5,000 consecutive days of prints from the artist. And this record-setting sale of $69 million once again puts crypto and NFTs into the conversation and also really puts it at the forefront of the just conversation in the art community uh, for what really does appear to be an emerging way for artists to both create and issue artwork and also profit off of them. This is interesting. So the buyer basically got a huge collection of photos, right? Like they got all of those photos and they can watch them as a, as a digital album or... Yeah, they, I think so. I, I haven't actually gotten to see each piece of the collection. I guess I'd need to pay $69 million for that. And unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not nearly there. I'm very far off from that price. But yeah, this just this idea of 5,000 pieces of artwork. And th- these are all as an NFT. The, the record of these pieces of artwork are stored on the Ethereum blockchain. So the art itself isn't there, but the metadata that refers to it is. And the idea and the, the value proposition of NFTs for people who are new to this space and, you know, with NFTs getting written up by every mainstream publication, at least in the U.S., there really are lots of newcomers. It's so strange and so wild that this is just jumping into the mainstream in such a, in such a big way. Yeah, it's actually interesting that somebody spent so much money on that. Like, does it mean that the person believes that this same thing gonna cost more than that at some point in the future? Now a collection of photos is worth $69 million. Like, you buy that expecting that it would be worth even more in the future. The logic of this market is kind of obscure to me. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And I guess it's it's no crazier than the normal art market. In the art world, you can spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a single piece of artwork. Just think like uh, pictures of cans of soup can go for millions of dollars. Of course, then you're getting a physical piece of canvas that the artist works Exactly, with. exactly. That's what you pay money for, right? It's It's hanging on your wall. It's like warming your heart every day when you watch it. Yes, like the person who bought people's uh, Donald Trump artwork a couple weeks ago. This is of 
of my former president, Donald Trump, lying face down in the grass, looking very, very damaged, very large, and uh, also graffiti covered with a, mm -hmm. with a Twitter bird uh, sitting perched atop him with a tweeting, a clown emoji. I don't know whose heart that is warming, but <laughs> I, I certainly wouldn't hang that over my mantle. Well, there are even funnier stories about the NFT market. Recently, OpenSea, there was an NFT basically representing a zero-day exploit. You know, the hacktivists were selling a zero-day exploit in the form of NFT, which I guess included the code itself and uh, the demonstration of how it works. And the exploit was basically a denial, the distributed denial of service attack on a online game server. So, you know, like relatively harmless stuff, not that somebody gonna seriously suffer from that, but it was basically a piece of malware uh, turned into an NFT and it was on sale on OpenSea and pretty soon OpenSea took action and they stopped that auction, they took it out. And the artist was obviously very disappointed and said that he doesn't recommend anybody use OpenSea. But there is no guarantee if, if he went to Rarible or any other platform that they wouldn't remove it because basically selling malware is a cybercrime, I guess, right? So the, the platforms wouldn't want that. But, you know, this at least stuff like that makes this uh, entire nonsense market a bit spicier. Like, I think that the malware deal is a, is a better deal, honestly. Like with the artwork, you can just take a picture of that and share it with your friends or something. Sure, it won't, you know, have the uh, the hash history to back up the ownership. Yeah. But like when when you've actually bought a zero day exploit, that's something you can actually use. I mean, I, I <laughs> of course I I don't advocate that anyone does use it, but if you so wanted to to test perhaps you can have much more fun with it, right? Absolutely. Than with just a picture. Yeah, so if an NFT is not a zero-day exploit, I'm not buying it. What's if, your budget? If, if it is, I'm not buying it either. <laughs> For the record, we are not buying it. <laughs> However, we will accept your zero-day donations at our email address. By the way, I'm not sure how expensive did it get before the auction was canceled by OpenSea. It's a story by our colleague Benjamin Powers. Everyone, please check it out. Matthew Hickey was selling this lot. Yeah, I'm not sure if the bidding hit any any considerable amount of money. So um, let's let's watch for more crazy NFTs to hit the market and more people to spend more money on them. Oh, I'm I'm sure that this this trend is only just beginning. At least I, that's what the person who just spent sixty nine million dollars on five thousand pieces of internet artwork hopes, because if the NFT market crashes, they will be very, very sad, probably. Yeah, that would be very sad. And actually, you know, I'm still waiting for an NFT that would make sense to me. Like, you know, when, when I look at NFT and I would think, okay, I would buy that. But in the meantime, let's talk about some serious stuff. From NFTs to pension funds, <laughs> because while somebody spent 69 million dollars on a collection of digital pictures a leading israeli pension fund put 100 million dollars into the grayscale bitcoin trust and i must say here that grayscale is a dcg company and dcg is also 
the owner of Coindesk. This leading pension fund in Israel, which is managing billions of dollars, and it's called Altshuler Shaham, it has $50 billion in assets under management, and it invested uh, in GBTC in the second half of 2020. Uh, so Bitcoin was trending around $21,000, which means that pension fund made some handsome profits over this half of the year, according to the local Israel press. So it's not the first time when the pension funds get exposure to Bitcoin, because in 2018, two pension funds in Virginia, not nearly as large as Al-Shuler Shaham, but still, the police officer's retirement system and employee's retirement system, they invested more than $55 million together in Morgan Creek. Uh, so Morgan Creek is fund investing in cryptocurrency, and these two pension funds got exposure to cryptocurrency through Morgan Creek. And, and that was a big deal back then. Anthony Pompliana, who is a co-founder of Morgan Creek, was you know, very excited about it. Everybody was very excited about that. Everybody was you know, shouting, institutions are coming. Even now, I don't know many other examples of pension funds putting money in crypto or you know, getting any exposure to that. And outside of the US, you know, is Al-Shuler Shaham the only one? We actually were back then when all this pension fund hype started. At Coindesk, we started a big database of basically all the big private pension funds in the world. And we were hitting them up and asking, hey, what do you think about investing in crypto? Most of them would just ignore our requests, basically. We literally couldn't find like a lot of compelling examples that, yeah, pension funds are interested in that. Now it looks like maybe they're starting to get the taste. Yeah, so, I think Denny, so. Yeah. I have seen in the last year a couple of examples of pension funds kind of inching their way forward. California, the state of California, which also operates the single largest public pension fund in the US, a $441 billion fund. This fund started buying Riot Blockchain um, in 2017. That's a very uh, secondary exposure method to Bitcoin, but of still, of course, you're betting on Bitcoin. But now they've expanded their holdings. They still now only own uh, $1.9 million of Riot Blockchain. Um, Wait, but Riot Blockchain is a mining company, a mining isn't company. it? So yes. it's a very direct exposure to, yeah, to but Bitcoin, it's not, I would it's, say. I, mean, I guess mm -hmm. it is directly betting on the price, but it's different than just Yeah, it's more complicated. Right. Yeah, it's like... Instead of going right to the source, you take a step back, which actually, if you started investing in the last year before the bull run began, you'd actually have a higher return on Riot, I believe, than on your Bitcoin. Um, Riot's shares have skyrocketed even more so than Bitcoin's. Plus, Riot blockchain has a CEO and Bitcoin doesn't. So uh, if you're a pension fund, you probably feel a bit safer invested in something that does have a CEO. You know, anyway. actually, on the topic of the Bitcoin CEO, yesterday I got an email from an anonymous source uh, with a strange sounding Gmail account offering <laughs> to uh, sell me the identity, the Bitcoin creator. And Was said, it in the form of NFT? You know, I do, I, I, we haven't gotten that far yet. I've spoken to my colleagues here at Coindesk, uh, Nick, one of the uh, veterans of this show, he agreed that we could spend a couple of quarters 
on the offer. Uh, <laughs> okay. So and so this guy is telling me that in 1979, some Wall Street firm I've never heard of put out an ad for um, innovative financial technology. So I've asked him to send me in the... 1979. Yes. So it really、okay. the Bitcoin really goes back way beyond anything we thought. Possible. Well, well, one person like very confidently told me that Russians invented Bitcoin in two thousand five, and he like has rock solid proof for that, or or at least like you know very competent people told him so. So you never really know when Bitcoin started. I feel like it was later than nineteen seventy nine for a couple of reasons, but、uh, I guess I'll have to find out that my conversation with him. We've we've now gotten to the point where I'm asking him. Uh, where to look in the? If you know what microfiche is, it's what、uh, old newspapers are stored on in the library. You have this big magnifying glass, and you look at these tiny printouts of newspapers.、Uh, it's a technology that really is from 1979. Anyway, I've asked him what newspaper and what date, so I can、uh, fact check his Bitcoin claims. So I'll,、okay. I'll, I'll give you guys an update on that next week. How much he wants for that, though? You know,、uh, we haven't gotten down to the price yet, but I I maintain that I'm willing to spend quarters of dollars on this offer. Don't、yeah. send him any crypto yet. Oh no, not just yet.、Uh, on a serious note, Danny, when you're no longer young and beautiful, would you like your future、Impossible. pension? <laughs> would you like your future pension to be, you know, invested in crypto? Oh, I don't know. You would rather invest in crypto instead of giving your money to any pension fund. Like, what do you think? You know, if I didn't work for CoinDesk and I still was young and beautiful as I as I am, I, right now, I would be happy with a pension fund that goes into Bitcoin because I'm young and I don't have to worry about it too much. But pension funds are are not normally for the young. Therefore,、um, older people who might actually need that money in retirement. And so, with with Bitcoin's volatility, that could be a pretty big negative, I have to say, because when you're in a pension fund, you really want something that has slow and steady growth.、Uh, you're not looking for huge winners that could also crash and burn. So, I don't think that Bitcoin is、uh, inappropriate. This this, is, of course, is not investment advice. I should say. But I do not believe that Bitcoin is an appropriate allocation for a fund mechanism that's supposed to be slow and steady, so that the old people don't get、um, railroaded. I believe it's a technical term. Tom would be so disappointed at this point. Tom would be disappointed、uh, with a lot of things that I say, as I am with him. So, <laughs> but actually, I guess like Bitcoin itself. You know, some people in this world might consider Bitcoin itself, like not some Bitcoin investing fund, but Bitcoin as an alternative to pension, because otherwise they might not get any pension, and Bitcoin might be a way to save some money for the future, at least protect them from, you know, extortion, from your national currency going to 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 zero. Let's see, like if、uh, the pension funds are starting to yolo into Bitcoin, like this is、uh, there is a big game starting, and in 2018 maybe not so much, but、um, if if it's starting all over the world, let's see what happens next. Speaking of game starting, go to GameStop for a second. A GameStop is currently trading at a two hundred sixty-three dollars. We haven't yet heard if the North Koreans are involved, but knowing this podcast, <laughs> they probably are. Wait, so it's back up, right? It's it's,、yes. it's soaring again. Two weeks ago, it was forty dollars, 
and now it's $263. So the, the US capital markets are working perfectly well. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's still that movement, like people from Reddit pumping the stock just to make the Wall Street extremely unhappy. I'm impressed by the persistence. Yeah, I guess it is them. I don't think that it's a sh another short squeeze. I feel like that story has played out, but I guess the retail traders are just YOLOing their money into GameStop thinking that uh, number go up. Well, let me tell you, number go up with Bitcoin, but it don't necessarily stay up with GameStop. Once again, this is not an investment advice. Oh, it looks like these people are determined to go on until the entire Wall Street shuts down. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, you know, just gonna dance on the ruins and maybe stop investing in GameStop or not. They did just announce their e-commerce strategy. In the year of our Lord 2021, a company has announced a plan to sell things on the internet. Wow, they're really ahead of the curve. Um, Yay. Well, but, well you yeah. see, I'm glad the story is going. A couple of days ago, my friend on Twitter was like, my, my Russian friend, and we don't have like direct access to the US stock, but there are some brokers that allow you to trade some American stock. He was like, uh, my broker doesn't allow me to short GME. And I was like, I wanted to yell at him on Twitter, like, why you want to do this? Like, why you want to spoil the party? But obviously I didn't. Um, somebody launched a regulated stablecoin, and guess who that is? It's New Zealand. These people, there is a company called Teachmint. I think I pronounced it correct or probably not. This is a blockchain startup affiliated with the crypto hinge fund Techami Capital, and they launched an Ethereum-based token backed by the New Zealand dollar. If you're curious, uh, New Zealand dollar is slightly cheaper than the US dollar. So basically, one New Zealand dollar is uh, 72 US dollar cents. Wait, is it actually cheaper or more expensive? I'm, I'm so bad at math. It is cheaper. With one New Zealand dollar, you can only buy a fraction of US dollar. But anyway, so they have been working nine months with the law firm, nine months, and they finally were able to launch this totally compliant uh, New Zealand digital dollar. And they're using the same technology that um, Coinbase and Circle used, which I think means that this new Ethereum token will be somehow close to USDC uh, by technology. Slow and steady, somebody's coming to mint some new things. And actually, every time it's impressive that people do this in Ethereum still. Like this technology is so old and so many blockchains appeared during all these years. But Ethereum is still considered the most battle-tested, the most researched platform. The players like that, they, they choose Ethereum. And by the way, probably it means that now New Zealanders can, um, you know, it would be easier for them to participate in the DeFi market because they have this stable coin based on Ethereum. So, you know, any Ethereum decentralized exchange, welcome. <laughs> and I, you know, I feel like this could be a lead in to another major announcement that happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the news that MasterCard was going to start allowing certain cryptocurrencies to uh, be exchanged across its network. Now, some people say that that meant MasterCard was going to onboard Bitcoin, but that's almost certainly not the case. They're more interested in regulated cryptocurrencies that uh, have a stable value. 
And I think that this would be like probably one of the perfect use case for that. Um, I don't know if MasterCard is aware of, of this or even has intentions to do it, but if what MasterCard has been saying uh, leads anywhere, you could see this cryptocurrency, this stablecoin, be transacted across the MasterCard network in New Zealand. Now, I've never been to New Zealand. Hopefully they do it because then maybe we'll have an excuse to go there. New Zealand is actually beautiful. Like the nature is fantastic. So any have excuse. You been? No, but my friend has been there and I saw the pictures. Anyway, any excuse should work to go there. But you know what's interesting? Like with many countries issuing digital stable coins, some people collect uh, coins and like banknotes. And uh, at some point in the future, you know, you, you can have a digital wallet in which you would have a digital New Zealand dollar, a, a bunch of digital US dollars, a digital yuan, a digital yen, a digital uh, whatever. And you would be like looking at it all and thinking like, what are I going to do with it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a, I used to be a coin collector back when I was even younger and more beautiful. Um, but uh, I don't. How much more beautiful you can be, Danny? Uh, it's impossible. Anyway, <laughs> um, back then I collected lots of coins. I don't think I would be very excited by a digital wallet of all of these uh, world cryptocurrencies. Like the, all the fun of it is looking at the fun designs, and as we all know, there is. It's no like such an thing. NFT, right? Uh, it's yeah, it's like an NFT, except actually valuable. Um, <laughs> yes. So like I, the fun part is looking at the designs and thinking, oh, well, that's cool. I wonder who that dead person is on this coin and what strange language is that? But I guess in, in New Zealand, it would be English, but it's not that strange. I'm not that excited by the prospect of collecting uh, digital currencies. Well, let's see if that's our future, actually. When we are old, our pension funds are all in Bitcoin and we're collecting central bank digital currencies in our digital wallets and maybe a couple of cheap nfts that uh, we only can afford because um, all the monies are in bitcoin and <laughs> that knows what happens so with that optimistic uh, perspective probably that's all for this week <laughs> thank you everyone for listening please subscribe to coindex podcast and especially to the coindesk report feed which includes borderless and let us know if you enjoyed the show Write to us at borderless at coindesk.com. You've been listening to Borderless. I'm Anna Baidakova from Moscow, Russia. And I'm Danny Nelson in the U.S. See you next week. You've been listening to Borderless, part of the Coindesk Podcast Network. By subscribing to one feed with your favorite player, you'll get free access to all the shows from the editorial team at Coindesk each focused on a particular niche perspective or ongoing discussion within the world of cryptocurrency. This episode featured Anna Badakova and Danny Nelson with an announcement by Lila Ledesma. Today's show is produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau with music by Cody Martin. Did you enjoy the show? We would love to hear what you think. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred service and talk to us directly via email at podcast at coindesk.com.